What are you really sure about in your life? It's a good question to ask, and it's a good question to ask others. You know, as we look at the news today and we look at our world, there's been shootings, there's been bombings, there's been a lot of sad stuff going on. But you know what? There is something that is sure, and what is sure is God's Word, because God's Word originates from God Himself. All Scripture is inspired by God. It becomes the measuring rod. It's what we really bank our lives on. It's what we stand upon. And Peter is going to defend it and tell us about the origin of it and tell us how sure it is. And it will give us strength and courage to move forward in our lives no matter what happens in this crazy world. We'll look at that more in 2 Peter 1 on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. How many of you remember when the book The Secret came out? So The Secret, the the essence of the book, and it was being pushed by Oprah Winfrey, is that you just need to speak to the universe, and the universe will give you back what you speak. So you just say to the universe, whoever's out there in the universe, whoever the universe may be, oh, universe. I want you to see my wallet right now. My wallet has a multitude of receipts, but very little cash. I now speak into my wallet, right? Or here was one of the things. You could speak to the universe after you eat that triple cheeseburger. And you could say something like this. Maybe you got to talk to the burger. You are not going to cause me to gain any weight. Now, I'm sorry, but this was it. So I'm going to eat this cheeseburger and universe. (laughs) No wait, it's going on me. I'm sorry. That's a joke. That's that's that book was flying off the shelves. And that's what that book taught. That's very simplified. But that's it. Words of power. You speak your own reality. Your words control your reality. So you put the words out there. And you get to create your reality. And that's just a big, fat lie. It's a lie. Peter says, we didn't do that. The time will come when they won't endure sound doctrine. 2 Timothy 4.3, what Paul wrote at the end of his life. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths or fables. Same Greek word. Same lie, same source, repackaged over and over and over again. And the books fly off the shelves. You know why? Because I can get a lot out of it if there's a secret and I get to speak to the universe and that controls my pocketbook and my shape and I can control my own reality, then surely I'm going to buy that book. But it's a lie. Peter says, "That's, that's not what we preach to you guys. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty when he received 17 honor and glory from God the Father. Such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. Now he's referring, as we're going to see, to the Mount of Transfiguration. Probably happened on Mount Hermon. He received honor and glory from who? God the Father. An utterance was made. That came from the majestic glory or from heaven. And the father said of the son, this 
is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, Peter left off something. You guys remember what else God said there? He said, listen to him. And Peter was talking right when God said that. I don't know if Peter just left that out by grace. I don't think so. All scriptures inspired by God, right? God has his reasons. There's only one other place that God the Father spoke these words about his son. What was the other place? His baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So I, I was listening to a message I'd given four years ago, five years ago, from Luke 9 on the Transfiguration. And I heard a coach say that he was meeting with a Jewish friend who was not a Christian. And they were, he was talking about what he had learned in the New Testament about how God the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased twice, baptism and Mount of Transfiguration. And he said one of the things that he gleaned out of it as a father and a coach is to publicly tell his son or sons how much he loves them. And of course, that would apply to daughters as well. But this, in this case, it's a son. And he said, what do you think of that? He just said that to his Jewish friend at lunch. Like, what do you think of that? And his Jewish friend began to break down and cry. And he didn't know why he was crying. And when he got himself together, his Jewish friend said to him, do you know that when we do a bar mitzvah, the last thing that the father of the boy that has come of age says to him is, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he didn't have any knowledge of the New Testament. And he broke down in tears. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think it's important for fathers and mothers to publicly express their love and that they're proud of their children. And I'm one of those dads. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. I have three. I have Shane, Nathan, and James, two of which are here tonight. James is off at Biola. And you are my beloved sons in whom I am well pleased. Do I think that's the immediate context? No. <laughs> Do I think it's a good application? Yep. Because they need to know that you love them and you're proud of them. And so... Here's the message that came. They were enveloped in this glory cloud. It overshadowed them like the shadowing Shekinah glory of the tabernacle. And the father confirmed his son. Where was his son headed? To the cross. I think his son, Jesus the son, who was 100% human, needed this. He needed maybe affirmation, encouragement from his father. And I think the apostles needed to hear this because they had just, Peter had just confessed, you are the son of God, you are the, the Christ, the son of the living God. And then the father confirmed it from heaven. How do you like that? Can you imagine what kind of light and power and glory was going on up there? Have you ever read the Exodus account of Mount Sinai when God appears and he is like a blazing fire? That's why they're on their faces, by the way. They got a close-up glimpse of God the Father, God the Son. I'm sure the Holy Spirit's there as well. And Moses and Elijah on fire too, in some respect. And what do you think it's a foretaste of? The coming kingdom. Old Testament saints are there. New Testament apostles are there. And God is there. And it's a foretaste of glory. We will know even as we are known. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven, 18 when we were with him on the holy or sacred mountain. And so we have the prophetic word, 19, made more sure. 
The prophetic word confirmed, New King James, to which you do well to pay attention to as, lamp, as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Just If you look at the end of verse 18, you can see it's the second occasion on the holy mountain, not at the Jordan River, where this took place. So Peter's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. And he says, in the ESV, it renders this way, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word. What is sure in your life tonight? What can you count on? Who can you count on? What, when you sleep at night and you put your head on the pillow, what are you really sure about? Stock market? I was sure a week ago. Can I get a witness? <laughs> I wanted to see my 401k statement a week ago. And then I turned on the news. Uh-oh, click, 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 click. <laughs> Not so sure. And then there's people. Some people I was pretty sure about. And then <laughs> I became not so sure. Can I get a witness? <laughs> All right, you don't have to say it out loud. Don't look at anybody right now. <laughs> what are you sure of? We go to the doctor, we get a health report, we, we hear news. Just not sure. A lot of people say that. You ask them questions. I'm not sure. Do you know how many people will answer the question tonight about their eternity with these words? I'm just not sure. Really? You might want to make sure before you fold up the tent. Amen? This is not an area to not be sure. Now, do your investigations. Do your homework. Ask your questions. Beat on the doors you got to beat on. But... Make sure you know the Lord. Now, what's Peter saying? Two major views. Was this experience confirmation of the truth of God's word, testifying to Jesus, following the question, who do you say that I am? In other words, was the Mount of Transfiguration confirming the Old Testament prophets? That's one view. Or is Peter saying we have something more sure than this experience of Jesus' transfiguration and the Father's affirming voice? Well, scholars have wrestled with this because they say, how could you have anything more sure than the Father confirming his son up on the holy mountain with Moses and Elijah to boot? Could it get any better than that? Is Peter actually saying that the Bible is more sure than that experience? Not necessarily. That experience is recorded in Scripture. Maybe what Peter is saying is this. Maybe Peter is saying, the Word of God is more certain than my experience as a man. I could tell you about experiences I've had with God, and you could tell me, right? But sometimes, if you told me a story, I could say, man, that sounds incredible. That's fantastic. That's awesome. But a part of me might say... <laughs> I'm not sure, right? How many of you are skeptical? Are you naturally skeptical? When we did the 633 and I was dealing with JT's case of demon possession, if you haven't heard that story, get the, the CD. I went into that house skeptical, even though I was told information that told me that there was probably an evil presence that we were dealing with. But my first natural inclination was to say, Maybe there's a natural explanation. Until 
the supernatural show. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. I just want to share my heart for a second. We have a website called walkintruth.com and we put up a store and we're adding more and more products to it. But one of the reasons I want to get you to that store is that you can partner with us in the ministry. You know, radio airtime costs money and we want to reach more people. If you're being blessed by this ministry, one of the ways that you can partner with us is to go to the website and purchase a product. You can also purchase my book on The Armor of God. I'll get you a signed copy and whatever you give to the ministry will go directly to paying for radio airtime. That's one way you can partner with us. You can help us reach more people like you and you can partner with us in the gospel ministry. It's a great thing. We appreciate you. We love you. Pray for us. We'll keep praying for you. Reach out to us today through the store at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. God bless you. Not sure, right? How many of you are skeptical? Are you naturally skeptical? When we did the 633 and I was dealing with JT's case of demon possession, if you haven't heard that story, get the, the CD. I went into that house skeptical, even though I was told information that told me that there was probably an evil presence that we were dealing with. But my first natural inclination was to say, Maybe there's a natural explanation until the supernatural showed up. (laughs) And then I went, oh, but I could tell you about my experience. And you, some of you, maybe even before that night, maybe even now, maybe you were thinking, I'm not sure. But one thing I'm sure about, when I open my Bible, it's God's word. And I'm sure. And over and over again, God says stuff like this. Psalm 138, verse 2. I will bow toward thy holy temple, give thanks to thy name for thy loving kindness and thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word according to all thy name. Look up at the wall. Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. In Isaiah 55, God says in verse 11, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. In Isaiah 66, 2, God says, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, this is the one to whom I will look, and him who trembles at my word. Isaiah 66, 2. Jeremiah 1, 12, then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I'm watching over my word to perform it. In John 5, 24, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He shall not come into judgment. He has crossed over from death to life. In John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And you shall know the truth. Abide in my word. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Make you free. Take a look at 1 Peter. Flip back just a few pages. 1 Peter 2. We're winding down, but I want you to see something that Peter said in his first letter, 1 Peter 2, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Since you, 1 Peter 1, 22, have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you've been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and abiding, what's your Bible say? Word of God. 
1 Peter 1.24, For all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, put these things aside. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. See, Peter says, the word is sure. It, it's, it's a sure foundation. Why is it more sure, says one writer? Well, because it's wider in its range, more varied in coming from many and bringing a more intense personal conviction than the testimony of a single fact or even a single witness. It's penned by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years, written on three different continents with one single message, God's redemptive plan for mankind. It's God's sure word. And Peter is exhorting the church to stay true to God's word because they're going to deal with false teachers. And one of the things that the false teachers were denying was the second coming of Jesus. And mockers, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking saying, where is the promise of his coming? That's 2 Peter 3. In 2 Peter 2, where we're about to head, Peter will lay out what the false teachers are doing. He's shepherding the church until he folds up the tent. And he's starting with the foundation. He's saying, look, we've got the word of God. This is how we measure things. And you would do well, 2 Peter 2, 19, we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. You will do well if you pay attention, 2 Peter 2, 19, to the lamp of God's word. For your word is a lamp, to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, 105. Into the murky, dark world came the glorious light of Jesus. And he said, I'm the light of the world. He's the morning star. By the way, that means light bringer. Morning star literally means light bringer or light bearer. You can look at Revelation twenty two sixteen, 16, where Jesus is the bright and morning star. He shines into dead hearts, dark hearts. And what does he bring? Illumination. The dawning of a new day. Glory. How many of you have had it happen? All of a sudden, the light of God's word shined like a searchlight, and you just woke up. You went, wow. Didn't see that before. Didn't sing things like this before because you were born again to a living hope. And so know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. The word uh, a matter of, genetai in Greek, means comes into being or originates or arises. It's not from human will, as we'll see in verse 21. It's not a matter of human will, Interpretation may be kind of a bad translation because the Greek word really means an unloosing, an unfolding or disclosing. It's not how you interpret the Bible. This is more about the source of the Bible, as we'll see in verse 21. The Greek word for interpretation has the idea of loosing or the loosing of truth or the untying of something. The source of the Bible is what is being talked about. 
The point of these verses is, in fact, not the interpretation of Scripture, which the false teachers obviously were off on, but the primary meaning is the origin of Scripture. Not what Scripture means, but what Scripture is, close quote. Peter was not prohibiting the private study of the Bible, as some religious groups have taught that only spiritual leaders, quote-unquote, may interpret Scripture, and they have used this verse as their defense. Peter was not writing primarily about the interpretation of Scripture, please hear this well, but the origin of Scripture. And this is all borne out by verse 21. For no prophecy, and you could say prophecy of Scripture, was ever made by what? An act of human will. Not one Scripture is the product of human will. So when your friends or skeptics say to you, the Bible's just from man, they all made it up. They came together and cut together a story. Yeah, that's why Peter's denying the Lord three times. That, that's why they're falling on their faces left and right, wallowing in unbelief. Look, if I wrote the story just to write the story, I would make myself look good. But that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is full of warts and all. How many of you are painfully trucking through 2 Samuel with us on Sunday mornings. Oh, some of you want the book to be over, I know. Because you're saying, how much more bad stuff can happen to David? More. <laughs> I'm not going, I'm not coming on Sunday. I'm going somewhere else. All right, you can do that, I guess. But men were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. All scripture is inspired by God. It's the product ultimately of God through human channels. Let me just read a little bit from one author. He says, the prophets, in fact, sometimes wrote what they could not fully understand, but were nonetheless faithful to write what God revealed to them. They were moved by the Spirit. Grammatically, this means they were continually carried or borne along by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit thus is the divine author and originator and producer of the Scriptures. In the Old Testament alone, the human writers refer to their writings as the words of God over 3,800 times. Though the human writers of Scripture were active rather than passive in the process of writing Scripture, God the Holy Spirit superintended them so that using their own individual personalities— thought processes, and vocabulary, they composed and recorded without error the exact words of God God wanted written. The original copies of the scriptures are therefore inspired, i.e. God breathed, inerrant and without error. Peter defined the process of inspiration which created an inerrant original text, moved along by the Holy Spirit as the idea of wind blowing into the sails of a ship to move it along. They were moved along. In John 14, 26, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will bring things to your remembrance. And a suggested definition by Geisler and Nix in a general introduction to the Bible, they say, inspiration is that mysterious process by which divine causality work through the human prophets without destroying their individual personalities and styles to produce divinely authoritative and inerrant writings. In other words, the Bible was a flawless book in the original autographs, close quote. It's divine and human 
Some have compared it, and you can take this by way of analogy, to Jesus, who was both divine and human. That's maybe not the perfect analogy, but you get it. It's a divine and human uh, process, but the divine is pushing it along. And thus you have your Bible. What do you have that's sure in your life? Do you know how many people have attacked this book over the last two millennia? The Age of Enlightenment, naturalism, all these isms that came along. They, they, God is dead, this or that. The Enlightenment has come. Man doesn't need God. Oh yeah, take a look around. How well are we doing without him? And in the 1960s, this country with a new wave of attack of liberalism and skepticism and you name it, started saying, ah, let's not use the Bible in schools anymore. Ah, let's not pray in schools anymore. Ah, let's not have, you know, the Christian thing in the public square anymore. And it's been about 50 years, and here we are. And there are voices in the culture in America now saying, we better get God back into these places we kicked him out of. Because if we don't, we're on a collision course with a dead-end street. But we have a sure word. God's word is sure. Father, we thank you so much that we have our Bibles, and we thank you so much that it is the word of God, breathed out by God, it's a divine product through a human instrument. And it's a beautiful thing, the way that you've allowed us as humans to be part of this process by which revelation would come to the world. And Peter says we have a sure word. With all that Peter experienced with the Lord, it's amazing that he points us back to the scriptures. But that's indeed what he does. And we're so grateful for the record that Peter recorded, divinely inspired, of this epistle, this experience, this man that was changed forever by the power of God, this man who walked with Jesus and now is with Jesus. And we're so grateful for the record of Scripture, and we're so grateful for how it's changed our hearts. Father, for those who are crying out tonight, for those who have made a first-time commitment, recommitted their lives, for believers who just need encouragement, to hang on with hope, to persevere, to find strength in you and your word. I pray that you'd bless them, strengthen them in every area they needed in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael, and I appreciate you listening to today's message. I want to tell you about the store at walkintruth.com. On the store, we have a brand new teaching up. It's on the occult. It's called The Dark Dangers of the Occult. And we have taught on the subject of demon possession, and we also have taught on the subject of Wicca or witchcraft, and there's more to come. And you need to know about this subject. You need to know what's going on with the occult, what the Bible says about it. It warns about it being forbidden. It warns that you should not mess with it. But there's also something else. We need to reach out to people in love with the truth of Jesus who've gotten involved in the occult. You can have access to this information, these resources to learn more and to become a more effective ambassador for Christ. It's all available at the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. 
You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.